Are you ready for the word today? I hate to ask you to stand, but let's just uh, start a new tradition and just be respectful of the word of God being read. And would you follow with me on Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. This is my second week in the sermon series called, I Didn't Know That Was in the Christmas Story. Would you say that with me as loud as you can say it? I didn't know. Say it again. I didn't know. I didn't know that was in the Christmas story. If you hadn't had a chance, listen to last week to get caught up. Um, But this week we're going to explore another story of the Christmas story. A story that either, either is the Christmas story or surrounds the Christmas story. And we're going to pick out some things that we didn't know that was in the story. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he, been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, And scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men to determine from from them what time the star appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, They departed for their own country another way. Lord, add the blessing to the preaching of your word and let your word go forth in power and in boldness. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. I didn't know that was in the Christmas story. One of the things that we love to do in the Christmas season is singing Christmas carols or Christmas songs. I'm sure that most of you are familiar with most of the Christmas songs or the Christmas carols that we sing in church or you hear on the radio or you hear at pageants and plays. All of us are pretty familiar with those Christmas songs. Now, my favorite Christmas song is What Child Is This? And Oh Come, Oh Come, Emmanuel. But there's another Christmas song that recently I have grown to love, and that is called O Little Town of Bethlehem. And I noticed the other day that there was a part of that song that I have sung for years, 
but it really never clicked. I just saw something that I never seen before. I'm sure you have seen it because you have sung it many times, like I have. But sometimes we can become so familiar with something that we can look at it and sing about it and read about it that we actually forget about the details of the story. And there's that part of the song that says, uh, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. O little town of Bethlehem. Go back to the song. How still we see thee lie above the deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. As I was listening to this song, I feel like this song is trying to convey happiness and gladness and rejoicing. But yet there's a a part of the song that is trying to convey darkness. Yet in the dark street shineth. I think that's the Christmas season that we're living in. I mean, there is the singing of Christmas carols, the lighting of Christmas trees, the coming together of family and friends, pageants and plays. Cathedrals are packed out on Christmas Eve. All around the world, people are celebrating this wonderful mystery, the mystery that God became man. All around the world, People are celebrating this, but I think that sometimes we need to pause. And I think that even in the Christmas season, there are some darkness. There's some hurt. There is some fear. Not everybody is happy. Not everybody's rejoicing. Not everybody is sitting in church. Not everybody is ringing the Christmas bells. Sometimes Christmas is a paradox between light and darkness. And as I read the text today, I think I see that. For instance, the first thing I want you to see in this story, and there will be several things that I'm going to point out in this story, but the very first thing I want you to see in this story is number one, I want you to see the shining star, but I also want you to see the dying children. There are several things I want you to see in this narrative, and I'm going to bring out five of them. The first one I want you to see is the shining star and the dying children. Now, you'll notice in the text that the Bible says in verse number 10, Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, the scripture tells us that when the wise men saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. But yet, if you read down in the text... Verse number 16, I'm not sure if they can find it for me, but Matthew 2, verse 16, Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, you'll find that Herod sent out a decree that all the children under two years of age, all the male children, should be executed. Here, right in the Christmas story, right in the Christmas story, you find people, you find the magi, the wise men, rejoicing at the exceeding 
uh, at the great star that they saw. And they rejoice with exceeding great joy. But in the Christmas narrative, you find people dying. You find children being executed. Because I believe that that's where we are as a nation and as a church. Christmas is wonderful, but it's not wonderful for everybody. There are people that's hurting. There are people that are come to the end of their rope, so to speak, and they don't know what to do. They are dying on the inside. Oh, yes. There are magi. There's the wise men. They saw the star. They rejoice with exceeding great joy. It is wonderful. But just in a few more verses in the text, Herod executes those babies. You hear babies crying in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem, you have wise men rejoicing at the star. In Bethlehem, choirs of angels are standing on the Judean hillside singing glory to God in the highest. But just a few miles up the road in Jerusalem, mothers are holding their dead infants as they weep. My friends, Christmas is wonderful, but it's not wonderful for everybody. Up the street, I could hear the crying. Under the shadow of the steeple of this church, where we ring the Christmas bells and light the Christmas tree, lift our voices and sing, what a wonderful child this is. Up the street, someone is hurting. Somebody is dying. Isn't that the paradox of Christmas? Shining stars and dying children. It's interesting to me. you got to look at the text real close. Herod, King Herod... He presided in Jerusalem, right? Jesus was born in where? In Bethlehem. Do you know how many miles it is between Jerusalem and Bethlehem? It is six miles. Six miles from Herod, Jesus was being born. Six miles up the road, the choirs of angels were singing. Six miles up the road, angels were standing on the Judean hillside singing glory to God in the highest. Six miles up the road, the wise men came and brought their gifts to the Christ child. Six miles up the road, Mary is standing there pondering all these things in her heart. That was only six miles up the road. But we forget Jerusalem. Six miles the other direction, mothers are crying. Six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, that's all it is. Just six miles. But those six miles paint a picture to us that in Jerusalem, Herod is killing babies. But in Bethlehem, angels are singing and stars are shining. My friends, don't forget this. That Christmas is about shining stars and dying children. Christmas is wonderful, 
But let's not forget to take the message of the Christmas story outside of these walls and be a witness of this Christ child. Number two, before I move on, we're supposed to take the message. I read, I'm familiar with a book called Bless by David Ferguson. In this book, David Ferguson gives a acronym for how to reach people in the postmodern society. He uses the word bless, B-L-E-S-S. He says in order for us to reach people, the very first thing we got to do is B, begin in prayer. Always start with prayer. Number two, B-L, you got to listen to people. You don't have a right to speak into someone's life if you don't listen to them. So you begin in prayer, you listen to them, B-L-E, you eat with them. Because that is the message of the New Testament. Jesus ate with the sinners and the tax collectors. Invite them and invest into them, eat with them, hear their life and hear them, their story. B-L-E-S, serve them. Do something nice for them. And the last S is share your story. I love that. B-L-E-S-S. It's, it's, it's a great example about how to reach people. Begin in prayer. Listen to people. Eat with people. Serve people and share your story with people. My friends, that's what you and I have to do. We can't forget about the dying people outside of these walls, even though we're used to the shining stars. We don't forget about the lost Number two, something else I see in the story. Remember a few moments ago, I told you that King Herod, King Herod is in Jerusalem. But in Bethlehem, Christ is being born. How many miles? Six miles up the road. Now, this is the question. I want you to see this. I want you to ponder this. Matthew chapter number two, verse one. Go back to the text, and I want you to see this. Matthew chapter two, verse number one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Verse 4. Now this is the key. Verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired to where Christ would be born. Now what did the religious people say? Verse 5. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. So King Herod... When he met the wise men, the wise men came and said, we have come to worship the new king. Well, King Herod is the king. King Herod said, called his religious people, he called the pastors, clergy, theologians. He said, tell me, where is this king to be born? And the religious leaders said, hmm, the scripture, the prophet said he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, if Herod wanted to know that badly, why didn't he get on his horse and travel six miles up the road to see if it was true? Why didn't he get on his chariot and go six miles up the road to see if this is true, 
They read the prophet. They read the scriptures. The scripture said he would be born in Bethlehem. And Herod did not go up the road to see if it was true. Number two, Herod or the religious people did not take the initiative. In other words, they didn't take the initiative. They didn't get on their chariots. The theologians and the clergy, they didn't get in their chariots and go up the road to see if this was true. They just read it in the scriptures and said to King Herod, the scripture says he's been, he would be born in Bethlehem. You see, only six miles up the road. In other words, my friends, they were so close but yet they were so far away. Is it possible that we can be so close and yet so far away? Do you know what stopped these people from going up the road six miles? It was, they were passive. They were full of apathy and complacency. My friends, that is, that is what's gripping the church today. I have never seen so many people full of apathy and complacency. You got to beg people, honestly, to come to church nowadays. I mean, honestly, you got to almost beg people just to come in the doors nowadays. People are so full of apathy and complacency, passive about their relationship with the Lord. And that's what the religious leaders, they read it in the Bible, but yet they wasn't going to go up the road to see him. And so many times in our Christian life, we read what the Bible says. We come to church and we rejoice for what the Bible says, but some of us still take no initiative for our lives. We still take no initiative for our spiritual walk. We don't take any initiative for our spiritual formation. We want to blame everybody and everything for how our life has turned out. But my friends, sometimes we are so close, but yet we are so far away. You see, some of us have heard sermon after sermon after sermon. You don't need another sermon. You need to take the initiative and make the right decisions in your life. Well, maybe someday I'll go to school. Stop it. Go to school now. Maybe someday I'll do. No, stop it. Take the initiative and do it now. Maybe someday I'll get my life together. Maybe someday I'll make improvement in my life. Someday never happens, my friends. Don't be like Herod. Don't be like the religious people who sit in their comfortable palaces and read the Bible, and yet they take no initiative for their lives. It's easy for us to come to a nice church and sit in our nice padded pews and take no initiative for our life, and we hear sermon after sermon every week. I meet with people and I tell people, please, this is what the Bible says. And people look at you and they'll shake their head and walk out the door and do the exact opposite. We want to hear sermons, but we don't want to take the initiative for our lives. Boy, this is some good preaching, but I'm going to say it anyway. You got to take initiative for your life. You can't stop blaming everybody for how your life has turned out. You're the only person that's responsible for your life. Take the initiative. They were so close, but yet they were so far away. It reminds me of the centurion at the crucifixion. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the centurion said, surely this must be the son of God. Not the son of God like you think. Son of the gods. He's at the crucifixion. That man was not a Christian. He didn't even know what the Son of God was. He's talking about the Son of the gods. This man must be a mystical man. This must be a god. That centurion was so close to the cross, but he was far from the blood. 
And some of us are so close to Bethlehem, yet we're so far away. You're so close to getting a breakthrough in your life. You're so close in making the right changes in your life. You're so close to seeing what God wants to do in your life, but yet you won't leave Jerusalem. You're too comfortable. You want to stay in the palace. My friends, it's just six miles up the road. It's just six miles up the road. Some of us is waiting for something new. Why don't you just act upon what you already know? Number three, I want you to notice the difference between the religious people and the wise men. The religious people said to Herod, well, he's born. He's born in Bethlehem. They, in other words, the religious people knew the Bible. They knew the Old Testament. But the wise men did not know the Old Testament. The wise men, let me break it down. The wise men were students of the stars. They studied the stars. They were pagans. In other words, they didn't ascribe and worship the one true God of Israel. They were just studying the stars. Okay? They're students of the stars. All right? I'm not sure if there was three wise men or five. We don't know. They brought three gifts. These wise men, these magi from the east, from Babylon... They left Babylon, the area of Babylon, because they saw something in the heavens to indicate to them that a change was getting ready to happen. Somebody was being born, and this person was significant. So they traveled 900 miles to Bethlehem. And when they got there, the protocol was, go speak to the king, which was Herod. Of course, Herod is going to save face. And act all excited about it. What's the difference? The difference is this. The religious people knew the scriptures. And they did nothing. They didn't even go up the road six miles. But the wise men did not know the scriptures. And yet they were the first to take the initiative. Sometimes, my friends, people who are not people who don't know the scriptures as well as you know will probably be the first one to take the initiative. Because sometimes, this is what I like to refer to, sometimes we become intellectual lazy. Intellectually, we're lazy. We know a lot. Boy, we can quote the scriptures. And we can tell people how to live. We're intellectually lazy, but yet don't ask me to serve don't ask me to do don't ask me to go out of my comfort zone. Don't, don't ask me to do anything else that I'm not. No, 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 no. The religious people were comfortable. It's comfortable just knowing the scriptures. It becomes uncomfortable when you act upon the scriptures. Faith moves with your feet. These wise men traveled. It reminds me of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, Paul is speaking of the church. And he says, there are some people in the church in the last days, they would always be learning and never be able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Always learning and never be able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
Man, we have Bible studies every week, church every week. But my friends, is the Bible study and are the church services pushing you towards Jesus? Are you getting towards Jesus? Listen, the religious leaders knew the scriptures. Don't lose me. They knew the scriptures, but the scriptures never brought them to Jesus. And it's easy for us to know the Bible and be unchanged. It's easy for us to intellectually agree with the scriptures, and yet there's no change in our life. The wise men suspected that God or someone was getting ready to do something in the universe. They didn't know what it was. They knew a king was to be born. They didn't even know his name, but they took the initiative and they began to do something. Number three, Herod, did you notice that Herod was okay with religion? In in fact, Herod said this to the wise men, hey, when you find out where this child is to be born, would you come back and give me the word, tell me so I may come and worship him as well? Herod, the city of Bethlehem is very small. It's six miles up the road. I'm sure you can find the Christ child. You see how deceitful Herod was? Oh, when you, when you find out where this baby is to be born, would you send word to me that I may come and worship him as well? In other words, my friends, Herod was okay with religion as long as it didn't affect his power or his control. Herod was the king. And here are these wise men coming from afar saying, we have seen the star. We've come to worship this new king. I wonder how Herod felt. Boy, that, that really messed with his ego, didn't it? These wise men came from afar and said, we have seen a star. Somebody's being born as a king and Herod is standing there thinking to himself, well, I'm the king. But you see how manipulative he was. He said, well, he's saving face here. When you find out where he's at, come back to me. Let me know. That I may come and worship him also. Now, I love the Bible. I really do. I was reading this, and I thought, I had never seen this before. But no wonder Herod had a problem with this. Now, are you ready for this? This is something I've never seen before. Everybody shout and say this with me. I didn't know that was in the Christmas story. Now, you ready? Go to Matthew chapter 2, same story. I want you to look at verse 2. Matthew 2, verse 2. Now, look at, look at it. I'm going to read it. The wise men came, and this is what they said. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now stop. They came to Herod and said this, 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 this sentence. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Did you notice what the wise men said? The wise men said in verse 2 that he was born king. He is not to be, he's not born to be king. He is already king. What he is and not what he shall be. The wise men came to Herod and clearly said to Herod, where is this child 
that's born king. Not to be born king. He's not going to be a king someday. Mr. Herod, he's already king. He's already been born king. No wonder Herod was like... Well, I tell you, Mr. Wiseman, whenever you find out where he's born, just come back and let me know. Herod was more about saving his throne than he was about saving his soul. And some of you, beware that you don't go after your own throne, and lose your soul in the end. Now, this is something else. Everybody shout, I didn't know that was in the Christmas story. Y'all ready for this? Everybody say, I'm ready. Look to your neighbor and say, this next point is for you, because I'm still thinking about the other point. Verse number three, look at verse number three, Matthew chapter two, verse three. And when Herod the king heard this, what happened? He was, he was what? He was troubled. What did he hear? He heard from the wise men that a child is being born in Bethlehem and he's born king. And he becomes troubled. The point is this. You will be troubled if Christ is not the king of your life. You will be troubled if Christ is not the king of your life. Have you ever met somebody, they're always in trouble and always in drama. My friends, you ever met somebody? Susie done them wrong, John done them wrong, Betty done them wrong, everybody's done them wrong. There comes a point in your life That if Christ is not the king of your life, there will be trouble all the time. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to keep control. Keep control. My friends, when you signed up under the role of real commitment, I have become a slave and he has become the master. You will be troubled if Christ is not the king. Number five. And the last one. I love this. I didn't know this was in the Christmas story. I'm like looking at this. I'm like, where did this come from? It's interesting. The wise men. they're, They're wise, aren't they? Because after they came to Christ... The Bible says they came to Christ. The Bible says, look at what happens. Verse number 8, Matthew 2, verse 8. He sent him to Bethlehem. Oh, go search carefully for the young child. Now, Mr. Herod, why couldn't you go up six miles up the road? Come on, dude. Go, go search for him. And bring back word that I may come and worship him also. My friends, do you think King Herod wanted to worship him? No. Verse number 9. And when they heard the king, they departed. Now, don't lose it. 
And behold, the star, which they seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now let's stop here. Do you know the exceeding great joy is the highest level of joy? The first level of joy is called joy. The second level of joy is called great joy. Everybody say great joy. The third level of joy is called exceeding great joy. And the fourth level of joy is called joy unspeakable and full of glory. Y'all with me? And there are some people, you, 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 all you got is joy. You ain't happy about nothing. You're just, you have general joy. You're just glad you ain't going to hell. I got fire insurance. I'm just glad I'm not going to hell, pastor. Then you have great joy. Acts chapter 8. What happens? Samaria believed the word of John and the city was filled with great joy. Then you have exceeding great joy where the wise men had exceeding great joy. But Paul said in the epistles that there's another level of joy called joy unspeakable and full of. I'm not sure if we've ever got there before. It's kind of like the river in the book of Ezekiel where the prophet looked at the temple and he saw a river coming out of the temple of God. And he sent a man, he, he went out and he measured the river, remember? And he said, and when he measured the river in Ezekiel 37, he said, the waters came to my ankles. And then he measured the river again and the waters came to his knees. And then he measured the river again and the water came to his hips. And then he measured it fourth time and it was a river that he could not swim in. Old Testament contained, is New Testament explained? I think that's the four levels of joy. Joy number one is ankle deep. Joy number two is knee deep. Joy number three, exceeding great joy, is hip deep. But fourth level is a river that I can't even swim in, and it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Can I hear an amen? Would you raise your hand and say, Lord, give me that joy. Impart that joy unto my life. Amen. He saw the star. They saw the star and they rejoice with exceeding great joy. In the Hebrew, it meant they were delirious, laughing, jumping up and down. Well, I think so after 900 miles. Now, I want you to see this. I'm almost done. What scripture? Verse 10. They saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Verse 11, and when they come into the house, obviously it's not a manger, okay? So it was a couple years after his birth, he's a toddler, came to Mary, his mother, fell down and worshipped him. So they worshipped him. They presented their gifts. Verse 12, verse number 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. Now stop here. You ready? Verse 11. Go back to verse 11. What did they do? They worshiped the child. Everybody say they worshiped. 
verse 12. They went to their country another way. Their direction was changed. My friends, when you sincerely worship Christ, He changes your direction. He changes your direction. When He becomes first, that's... It's not about us. Sometimes we think God's egotistical narcissist that sits on the throne with a white beard and we got to come every week to give some praises to God or God going to send us to hell. That's not what it's about. It's more for you than anything else. When you truly put God first in your life, he changes your direction. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God would speak verbally or he would send a dream. In the New Testament, God doesn't work that way. Sometimes there's dreams and occasionally there's verbal, audible things that you hear. But most of the time, the New Testament teaches the spirit lives on the inside of you and he leads you. So you follow the prompting of the Spirit. He leads you because you are a temple. And the Spirit, the Spirit of God in the Old Testament hovered over the tabernacle. And the, the tabernacle would move when the, when the smoke and the cloud would move. It would move. In the New Testament, we are the temple. So I move whenever the Spirit moves. Do you see what I'm saying? I follow the promptings of the Spirit. I, I'm led by the Spirit. And how do I know I'm being led by the Spirit? Well, usually the Spirit will go contrary to what you think. Should I bless this person? Is this God or someone else? The devil is not going to tell you to bless nobody. Should I serve in the church or should I not? The devil ain't going to tell you to serve. There are some things you can quit praying about. And just do and take the initiative and just do it. Well, pastor, what if it's not God's will? You'll find out when you're doing it. It's, it's what we call, hold on, I'm going to close. It's what we call the dimmer lights principle. The dimmer light principle. You follow in the light that you know. And as I walk on the journey, the light will get brighter. If the light doesn't get brighter on my journey, it must not be his will. So I follow the light that I know. And as I walk on this path, the dimmer light principle is that the dimmer light will become brighter and brighter if I'm in the right path. Let's follow the light that we know. You see, I've studied Christmas for years. And I want to leave you with this. There are some things I didn't know. And that's this. Number one, some of the stuff I didn't know about Christmas is this, is that you, sometimes we fail to act on the truth that we do know. The religious leaders knew the Scriptures, but they took no initiative to go up the road six miles. Sometimes we just need to act on the truth we already know. Number two, sometimes we know a whole lot and we do very little. We know a whole lot and do very little. Sometimes we live a passive life and we miss the opportunities to know Christ. They miss Christ 
because they were passive and stayed in their palaces. Six miles isn't a whole lot, but it can be a difference maker in your life. My friends, you're so close. You're so close. I challenge you, I challenge you today. Don't quit the journey. It's only six miles. If you are discouraged today, I say unto you by the Spirit of God, be encouraged. I say unto you, live. I say unto the valley of dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I say unto you, arise and be the man and woman that God has called you to be. I say unto you, don't let your past dictate your future. I say unto you, arise and let the light of God shine upon you. I say unto you that there are better days ahead. I say unto you that life is worth living. I say unto you, don't quit. It's only six miles up the road. Don't quit. Can, I, 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 I'm going sh- to shut up, I promise you. But I want to I tell you this. Taylor put the scripture, not, uh, Genesis, Genesis 9.28. And I feel this prophetically to say this to someone. Genesis 9 and verse 28. Genesis 9.28. I feel prophetically I need to say this to someone before we are dismissed and have the altar service. I feel like the Spirit wants to say this to someone. Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 28. This is what the Bible says. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. But what does that mean? Noah went through the greatest trial of his life. He experienced a flood. It's exhausting. He had to build an an ark. He was in a flood. And then the Bible says that after the flood, he lived 350 years. So this is what the Spirit is saying to someone. There is life after the storm. Somebody should just get a hallelujah right there. There is life after the storm. So somebody just get a little encouraged. I'm going to make it six more miles up the road. I refuse to quit. I refuse to throw in the towel. I will make it because the Spirit has called me to the end. There is life. Woo! Can somebody just get exceeding great joy this morning and say, I receive the word. I receive the word today. Hallelujah. There's life after the storm. Sometimes, remain standing. Sometimes we focus so much on the storm. It's like... Is it ever going to end? There's life after the storm. And this is what I hear the Spirit say. Somebody has been so burdened this morning. There are some guilt. You just feel guilty because you can't even celebrate the season because you're just so burdened. And the Spirit has apprehended me to tell you, it's okay. Because there's more days and more life after the storm. Be at peace and be encouraged and be strengthened because there's life after the storm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Be encouraged and be strengthened today. Hallelujah.